0: like you don't you don't see the bell the characters don't ring the bell you don't see the characters doing anything with the bell the bell originates from off stage by some like like you said something out there the bell is ringing
1: Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen and
0: I am Jackson Nikolai. We are here at the start of one of the great pillars of this podcast um, in That's terms of true. our season. That's yeah. true.
1: <laughs> we, uh, every season, we do our best to program a huge variety of scripts. It's kind of one of the missions of this podcast is to look at scripts at different levels. You know, We would look at very, very new scripts. We look at established old classics. We look at scripts by uh, playwrights you may have never heard of. We look at scripts by playwrights that you definitely studied in high school. We look at scripts that are um, from like a very specific kind of community in the United States. We look at scripts that are so general and toast as to play on Broadway. We look at so many <laughs> different kinds of... That was like a subtle shot at Broadway. That it, wasn't I just, a, like, it wasn't subtle. That was, in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was a sidewalk (laughs) (laughs)
1: sorry Broadway but not that sorry Uh, so the point being we do our best to look at a huge huge collection of plays we try to be as different as we can because we think that bringing scripts that are as different as possible to your plate to your listening ears uh, is one of the things that we can do well On this podcast. So we do that. But every season, we take one month of that season, four episodes... And we look at scripts that have something in common rather than scripts that are as different as possible. And we've done a huge variety of types of themed months. We've done a month where we look at only Arthur Miller plays or David Henry Huang plays. We've done a month where we looked at musicals. And we've also done some more ethereal kinds of themed months where we looked at plays with magical elements in them and and many other things besides. This themed month is a sort of a sequel or a follow-up or just another themed month with the same principle as one we've done before. We are here for Mini-Month Part 2.
0: Mini-Month Part 2, yes. Returning to uh, a love theme because it's a whole set of theater that we don't get to talk about all that often in the kind of normal normal run of the show. Um, these are We're going to be doing short plays, one-act plays. Um... Not exclusively one act plays, but definitely kind of in that shorter category. Those plays that like you uh see at see multiple of them in the night sort of things, and uh, can kind of pack a big punch, uh kind of dwell on one theme for a little while, and excited to see the conversation that comes out of them before. When we did when we did this uh the first iteration of this themed month, it was cool to see the sort of like form conversations we were having. And excited to see what sorts of uh conversations are generated from these these great short plays in the coming month.
1: Yeah, this should be a really interesting month of plays because because it's a form theme. The actual content of the plays probably won't have that much in common play-to-play, but the way in which they're presented, they're packaged, they're published, they're advertised, often does in this sort of short play genre. In our first iteration of Mini Month, we looked at plays that were more approximately the same length or thereabouts, plays that you, know, you would sort of call one-acts or short plays. This mini-month, we've sort of spread that a little bit wider. The first two episodes are, I would call them, very short plays or ten-minute plays. And then the second two episodes are more traditional-length one-acts or short plays that run in that, like you know, 40 to 60 minute range somewhere in there. So we'll have kind of a pair of conversations about, you know, 10 minute plays, very short plays versus one acts or regular short plays. And that should be interesting in and of itself. There are really, really fantastic pieces of art out there in this form. They do not get the airtime that full-length plays do in the same way that novellas don't get the same airtime that novels do. Something about shorter just, like, doesn't ring for our American ears. We're like, bigger, longer, (laughs) better. We want it as big as... But short plays, these packaged, (laughs) like, concise, flavor-packed pieces of art are... They have a lot to offer. I'm a huge fan of the 10-minute play. And if you know anything about the development of the 10-minute play, you'll probably have a sense of why... I like 10-minute plays because the 10-minute play is really wrapped up in the Actors' Theater of Louisville and the the generation of that uh, form and the way that Actors' Theater of Louisville championed 10-minute plays coming into this sort of new era of playwriting. And now 10-minute plays are more commonly written than one acts by contemporary American playwrights pretty much across the board. So as we're in this sort of first pair of plays for themed month, these 10 minute plays, these very short plays. We're looking at something that is really, um, it maybe is not quite in its heyday. That was probably the knots or the early 2010s, but it is still very much part of the lexicon. 10 minute play festivals are everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of, just kind of, it's, it's so, so accessible. So cool for playwrights to get to write those kind of packed in one theme that you're really leaning into and also great for. For, for those actors who need, like, short rehearsal times. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm starting to fall into that category more often of, like, hey, I just want to engage in theater and would love to not have to memorize a 70-page script. <laughs> it's a great way to still get to do that. And have a just a great, great night of theater if you have, like, a, a robust theater community in your area. Putting on a 10-minute uh, theater festival is a great way to get everyone involved. So... Super cool, super super cool to be jumping into that topic, and super cool to be jumping into this play that we're talking about today first, because amongst the ten minute plays um, uh, that that perhaps you've interacted with, surely if you've interacted it in this in the kind of college theater scene or looking for scenes for auditions or any any of that sort of vein, sure thing by David Ives surely has <laughs> risen to the top of the basket as you've looked through those ten minute plays.
1: I, I am sure that even if you don't recognize this particular title, as we begin to talk about it, you will recognize it. It's a very popular 10 minute play. It might be, I don't know, Jackson, is it is it the most popular 10 minute play? <laughs> I don't know. Just as a but, standalone, like I, it's gotta be, to up be there. Yeah. Now it's, <laughs> In part, that's just because of the name David Ives. You probably know the name David Ives. If you don't, you're going to recognize some of the stuff as we get into the context. David Ives is a absolute short play, 10-minute play kingpin. I mean, this guy is the guy for 10-minute and short plays. His anthology of 10-minute short plays, not all of them are 10 minutes, but they're you know in that short play category. His anthology, All in the Timing, is the um uh example piece well, I can't think of a, a fancier right like, exemplar for that but <laughs> yeah, yeah exemplar yeah. there you go uh, yeah, yeah. it is the anthology and it is still a huge deal. For a while, this anthology of short plays—I'm stealing from my own context section now—was <laughs> the most performed play in the country besides Shakespeare. Wow. This anthology of short plays was the most performed piece of dramatic work in the country besides Shakespeare. I mean, that is That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it not? I mean, yeah. how, I would never have been able to guess that. Give me uh, 200 guesses. On what was the most <laughs> performed play after Shakespeare for that particular year, I would not have gotten to all in the timing. Not no. e- I mean, they wouldn't have even flown my radar. <laughs>
0: And part of, that, part of that is some of what we've already said, and some of what we'll probably continue to say, is just the accessibility of these scenes, because they're real, they're oftentimes real scenes, oftentimes a little bit magical sometimes, um, but they're really interesting, they're so kind of visceral because of the shortness of them, and, and again, you get to have, you know, a, a broad, like, I think the, yeah, all in the timing I have, I'm holding my copy here, is there's six one-act comedies in here. So you have six different uh, little plays that you get to have a big cast for, but each of the scenes only has a small number of people on stage maybe um so so it's 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 great for that it's great to it's i imagine houses are just so excited to get plays arranged like this um and certainly i have been the couple times that i've interacted with this anthology
1: no, I th- it'll be really fun to talk about. Let's do our uh, Patreon plug so that we can jump yes. into this conversation. Yes, we're, 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 we're both getting eager.
0: getting excited <laughs> to jump into the the actual content of the episode. But before we do, we must, simply must, just out of the gratefulness of our hearts, thank oh, all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast for being patrons of the show. Thank you all so much for... Uh, being being uh, willing to jump in and help out the show in this way. Those of you who are longtime listeners of the show know that we love getting to do the show. It uh, it is a labor of love for us. We love getting to come up with uh, the scripts of the scripts of the year and the season and also for the themed months. And it is also not a free endeavor. There's various costs associated with running a podcast podcast many of you probably know that. Podcasting is a somewhat prevalent thing in the country. Um, and and uh, it's it's not a free endeavor, and the patrons make it possible. So, uh, thank you so much to everyone who has decided to become a patron of the show. If you're thinking of trying to find a way to be a part of the NoScript community in, in another way, um, beyond just listening to the uh, weekly episodes, Patreon's a great way to do that. You get access to patron-only posts over there, you get access to the scripts ahead of time, there's a couple of different tiers of membership. The lowest one, as we always said, is just $1, $12 over the course of a year. It's a great way to help out the show. It helps us out enormously with the various fees and costs associated with with buying scripts, running podcasts, all that business. Uh, So if you're looking for a way to kind of interact a little bit more with the NoScript community and help out the show, making sure that we continue to get to have these unscripted conversations about theater's best scripts, you can find us at patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. Thank you to all the patrons who have already headed over there. We'll see you
1: over there. And today we have a very exciting announcement. We have a new patron at the playwright level. This is the level of patronship at which we want to thank you verbally on the show. We also do this at the end of every season. We go through everybody at that level. And then we like to announce folks that have chosen to support us at that level. For the folks that are are supporting us at the $1 a month level, we are also grateful to you. But part of the increasing benefits, if you know how Patreon works, is that we increase the benefits for the more that you choose to give every month and so for this particular level we like to say your name on the podcast to give you a big shout out and a big thank you so Jonathan Edge has joined us as a supporter at the playwright level thank you Jonathan thank you for supporting the show your monthly contribution makes no script possible there's no way around that that is just simply a truism of the podcast your support makes the podcast possible to happen. So, thank you, Jonathan, and thank you to all of our supporters as well.
0: Yes, thank you all so much. Head on over, check out the tiers, check out the space. We'll see you over there.
1: And now, back to the script. Here we go. Hey, okay, so these conversations are supposed to be abbreviated conversations, because we're talking about short (laughs) plays. Weirdly, this is probably like the latest in the episode we've ever gotten to the end of the (laughs) Patreon block. We spent a long time in the intro, and then the Patreon plug was long, so we're we're, We're we're in like this crunch time. So this one might be a little longer than we anticipated, just (laughs) so you know. But in order to accommodate that, we're doing very abbreviated contexts and abbreviated synopses. Um, So just so everybody knows that, this is not the same level of uh, context we would usually give. Playwright David Ives, new to the podcast, again, like we said in the intro, he's really known for his short plays. Um, As a young man, he attended Northwestern University, that bastion of playwriting in Chicago, majoring in English, um, and that was, uh, graduated in the early 70s, uh, and ended up teaching English in Germany for a while, but eventually got an MFA from the Yale School of Drama in 1984. I know that some, like, snobbish theater people look down on David Ives because his plays are they sometimes are a little gimmicky they're a little they're like big comedies i would call them like populist theater uh but the dude has an mfa in drama from yale so you know you can kind of <laughs> shut up if that's right. your opinion of david ives like I don't know what to tell you Got an MFA in playwriting from one of the best schools in the country to get your MFA in playwriting from and is literally one of the most popular playwrights in American history. So don't know what to tell you. That's kind of as good as it gets, I would think. Uh, In 1972, he had his first uh, play produced. He had been writing since a very, very young age. Um, But he really sort of came into form in 1987 when he started to have these short plays produced, which would become his calling card. This included Sure Thing, the play that we're talking about today, as well as some titles you may recognize. Variations on the Death of Trotsky is a very popular David Ives play, as well as the Universal Language. Jackson worked on the Universal Language some in college. Um, We both have a history with Sure Thing, as well as if you started to go through David Ives plays, I'm guessing both of us would be like, like oh I've done that one yeah I right no, I yeah that yep. one. <laughs> and probably you out there would too. Uh, part of that is that, like our college theater program the uh, the professors really were into David Ives. That may not be true everywhere, but that was certainly true for our background. In 1993 a lot of those short plays that Ives had been writing were packaged together to create All in the Timing, which is this anthology of short plays that we have discussed. And that premiered in New York City. And then for, I think it was the 95, 96 season, as I said, it literally was the most produced play in the country besides the plays of William Shakespeare, was this anthology of short plays, All in the Timing, an incredible achievement. Um, I'm going to skip a bunch of time here where he was still writing, doing a lot of stuff. He joined a musical, project, a lot of cool stuff happened in his career, but I want to get to 2011, his play Venus in Fur made its Broadway debut, which really vaulted him back into the sort of American consciousness after his short play um, popularity, Uh, and Venus in Fur became the most produced play in the country after William Shakespeare for the 2013-2014 season. Uh, If you've been actively in the theater community for at least that long, you probably remember the Venus and fur craze. It seemed to be everywhere for a time. Um, That is why. So he still is writing. Um, he was part of this project to do the adaptions of books for a lot of different musicals. Um, in that span in 2004, he wrote, the, he co wrote, rather, the book for Irving Berlin's White Christmas. Um, and right now, his career is that he's doing a lot of adaptions of old plays, contemporaries of Shakespeare, older than that. He's writing contemporary adaptions of these scripts, seems to be what he's working on right now. Again, David Ives is uh, like a, a pillar a cornerstone of what built the commercial American theater. And uh, now his stuff is done at the high school level, at the college level, at the community theater level. It's still getting semi-pro and professional productions. Uh, His work is everywhere. And you probably will recognize some of the titles if you start rolling through his playlist.
0: Yeah, and not just the titles, but like the lines too. At least for me, there's like so many lines that like, Pop into my head from from various productions of of David Ives plays. He's just just super witty, super interesting take on the world. Um, uh, excited to, excited to get to engage this play. Uh, excited to get to engage this play in particular. As Jacob said, we're pretty. <laughs> Jacob knows for sure that he's worked on this play, and I'm like at least like seventy percent sure that I was in this play as one of the characters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was like I I in- definitely. I directed it in uh, probably 2021 or maybe the late part of 2020. Um, It was definitely during the height of the COVID pandemic, and there were uh, several outdoor arts festivals in Arkansas where I was living, and I was hired to direct uh, a couple of, I I think I directed two different casts to present it at several different arts festivals because it's so travelable. We needed two chairs and a, a bell.
0: Right. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I'm pretty sure I did it in that like zone of, of, uh, of senior theater (laughs) that, that I wasn't sleeping much. Um, so I'm pretty sure that I was, (laughs) I was in it. Um, but, uh, some of the lines certainly ring true. Um, we'll, we'll jump into the conversation here. Fortunately, the synopsis of this is going to be quite short. Um, uh, this is a play. Uh, it's set in a cafe with a couple of chairs um as Jacob just said it's a couple of chairs a table and a bell is kind of the only necessary things that you need for it uh two characters Bill and Betty both in their late 20s as uh the script calls for um and uh it's 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 a it's a short little like maybe 10 page play about their interaction um it uh, the the their interaction moves from kind of a first meeting at the table to leaving together um uh having having kind of, uh, at least been interested enough in each other to kind of go on a date. I think would be a,
1: a good way. And it's wholesome. They're not going back to anybody's hotel room or apartment. They're going <laughs> to we'll go see. to the movies together. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> after that, they might for sure. <laughs> but no uh, judgment. I'm just saying, no like, judgment. it's not. It's not. It's not like they met and are going to hook up. They're going. To right, go right, to right, right. It's like a real date. That's yeah. really what I was saying. It's like a real date, not a quote unquote date.
0: Right, you know right. I mean? Not air quotes date. Um, right, uh, a real
1: date. <laughs> imagine that maybe this play feels like it's from the 80s <laughs> yeah
0: I could yeah just, yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, but uh, the 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 way there is uh, through a series of restarts, um, a series of perhaps misconnections or found connections, um, and uh, that those restarts are brought about by a bell. Now, if, again, if you know this play, you know the bell. Um, uh, you probably know a couple different versions of the way that the bell Im- finds its way into the script. Um, but uh, each time uh, the characters interact, they kind of go on one line of thought for a little while, and eventually something goes wrong for one of the characters. Either, uh, they say something wrong or something they say doesn't resonate with one of the other ones. And, uh, the conversation kind of comes to an end either by just awkward silence or like, please go away. (laughs) Um, and, and almost always the, 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 responding character says, okay, yeah, I'll go away. Or they know that something has gone wrong. Um, and then the bell rings and then you reset to a couple lines back and you take another run at it. Um, this kind of repeats over and over. It covers a lot of different themes, both uh, just conversation, like how to have a good conversation. Uh, you you have a kind of interaction around Faulkner and um, uh, all sorts of sound, sound in the Fury and his book and like how to have uh, a good conversation versus like a one-sided conversation. That That's often uh, or that, that's re- that's how the conversation is reset sometimes. Uh, you have uh, beginning to have more interest in each other and each other's uh, romantic involvement with other people like checking to see do you have a boyfriend right now? Do you have a girlfriend right now? Um, and uh, you have a number of resets in that category as well. You have a trip to the movies and what sort of content of the movies uh, you would enjoy slash, uh, demand the other person to enjoy in order to spend time with you. Um, and, uh, eventually, uh, kind of building towards what your hopes and dreams are for the future. Um, and slowly, slowly, you, uh, whether through the, the, uh, weeding out of the bell or the kind of continued interaction of these characters, more and more resonance builds between them until the very end of the play when about a, a whole page, And a half ish page and a quarter goes by without the bell ringing, which in the course, I mean, in the course of a 10 page play. That's that's a lot of the play. <laughs> so, uh, and it they, does
1: feel long having worked on it. Like you can really, the writing is so good that you can feel it when you reach the end of the play and you start to go three, four, five different back and forth exchanges without the bell going off. You start to get, it, the play really starts to pick up pace. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's working, it's working, it's working, and then of course the play is over. the The writing is really, really effective at that moment. It's f- effective throughout, but it's because of how often the bell goes off before the end of the play really works.
0: Yeah, you start. It's kind of like that acting game where, or that that improv game where, like you you'll be long form improv ing. You'll say something and someone from off stage says change that or something like that, and you have to reset it. Um, by the middle of the play, you're getting a lot of these bells going off, and you're like, ah, I gotta find something. <laughs> you get the sense that these characters are trying to find some way to connect, um, and kind of keep coming back and back and back over over and over these these sort of interactions to find the way to each other. Um, which is so it's it's a sweet little play. It's a funny play. Um, um, and uh, kind of takes you on the journey of these two characters meeting for the first time and uh, deciding to spend more time together as a result of their somewhat, uh, I, g- I guess, somewhat magically uh, reset or uh, interactions with with the bell going off all, all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's you just don't ask questions. Yeah, that <laughs> that truly is what David Ives does so well is that his theatrical imagination is so vast and incredible that he is able to say, what if this thing were true? And he is able to write at such a high level that you just accept that it is true. And so right. the premise of this play is that as these this couple is meeting in a cafe, a bell keeps resetting their conversation anytime they say something that would end the conversation, and we just accept it. And they, I mean, nobody throughout the play, you never go like, where is the bell? Who is the bell? Is the bell God? Is this, uh, is this magic? Is this, I mean, it, it does not come up and it does not matter. It is part of the world of the show and we accept that and we become engaged in the question of will this couple get together?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And while we're, while we're on the the bell and that, I think. So, so the play, uh, says in the front, I'd be interested to hear what you did in your production, but the play says in the front that the bell is not present in the play. Um, like you don't, you don't see the bell. The characters don't ring the bell. You don't see the characters doing anything with the bell. The bell originates from offstage by some, like, like you said, something out there, the bell is ringing. Um, and I've seen that ignored, um, and I've seen it not work. <laughs> Um, sometimes. But sometimes it does work with with that that ignored. Sometimes the characters like bring out their own bell <laughs> part way through the play, is what I've seen a couple times. Like it it emerges from a pocket or a purse or something like that as they start to really drill in on the other one. Um but but that's sort of like at least, I, I think that that leans into what you're saying. Of this. like, let's don't ask questions about the bell. <laughs> is kind of the uh, the way that it's written. Of like this, it's off stage. Don't worry about it. It's just the magic of or the the, the given circumstances even of this play.
1: And Yeah, it's just like it is the way the world works for this particular a- encounter, and it 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 works in different ways. Like, I guess what I'm really saying is that the bell causes the conversation to reset in different ways and truthfully one of the um, features of this play that feels like it's from the 80s is that sometimes the bell causes the conversation to restart for something that I think in 2023 we would say like might not be a yeah, <laughs> particularly it's a good little reason judgmental. to reject so, yeah it's a little, <laughs> little judgmental like at one point uh, I think it's Bill is talking about going to college and he's like I got a 2.0 ding 3.0 ding 4.0 right, in college right. and it's like yeah, I mean, I mean that's not, and that's not the most extreme example of that. There are other examples of things that you sort of have to work your way around to produce it nowadays. But the the, the premise of it is so effective, and it, I'm not sure exactly what you learn about the characters because. If you drill too far down into it, you do have to start asking questions about the Bell. Yeah. Like, at one point, they say, I, I hate Faulkner. Ding! I love Faulkner. It's like, which version of that was the <laughs> real character? Yeah. And which was, like, the Bell-induced character? Are they lying? Were they lying before, and now they're telling the truth? Or has the Bell, like, are we in, a, like, a multiverse, like, a Marvel, like, we've switched to another version of the universe where this character loves Faulkner.
0: Right. And I th- I think that that is actually a pretty important piece of trying to figure out this play um is kind of deciding whether what the characters are doing is is masking themselves or whether you're experiencing an alternate version of themselves. Um because because it takes on a different flavor if it's just like, "Oh, you didn't like that? I'll lie about it."
1: <laughs> um, right. are, and I don't so. I don't think that's what's implied yeah. by the play, do you? No, I, I don't. I think if if I were like trying to just trying to rationalize the the bell and how this play works i would say we are like shifting universes absolutely Just yes. one we every building is sending us to a new universe where the thing that was wrong about the conversation before is actually correct that would yeah. be like i think how i would rationalize what's happening
0: I, I, I agree with that. I think that's the most fun. I think it's the way that you laugh the most. Um, I, I, it also, yeah. I think comes out in the writing. There's the, one line in particular that stands out to me. It's the one that still sticks in my mind from whenever I interacted with this play sometime before. Um, but there's the there's like the, the get into politics at one point and it starts with, I'm a straight ticket Republican and ding, ding. I'm a straight ticket Democrat. Ding. ding. I prefer to think of myself as a citizen of the universe. <laughs>
1: Ding. Ding.
0: <laughs> I I'd vote my beliefs and i just like pay attention. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, that's, I don't like uh,
1: labels is like yeah. where it ends up being. And yeah. boy, having directed it, that line gets a big old laugh. <laughs> and it's, if you imagine that line in like the early nineties, like yeah. it still probably was funny, but nowadays with like political partisanship, so toxic, yep. like everybody <laughs> is just desperate for that joke. <laughs> right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So I think it leans into And in into some that. ways-
1: Yeah, in some ways, that's like how this play functions is a series of jokes. I mean, if you think of the bell as the thing that prompts a punchline, you get basically one joke after another and you just go joke to joke to joke. Um, like for example, uh, uh, Betty says, uh, they're talking about Faulkner. We moved on from that. Bill says, yeah, I read it in college. Where was college? I went to Oral Roberts university. Ding. Where was college? I was lying. I never really went to college. I just liked to party. Ding. So there's the joke there. And then we get the third of these dings about college and we get a, uh, the final joke. So she says, where was college? I was lying. Never really went to college. I just like to party. Ding. Where was college? Harvard. And then the conversation moves on with no ding. Did you like Faulkner? I love Faulkner. So the the punchline is Harvard, right? And it's just a series of really clever joke writing. We make a punchline out of Oral Roberts University ding. You make a punchline out of liking to party and never going to college ding. And then you make a punchline out of the fact that Harvard is the successful thing that moves the conversation forward. It's like the perfect person went to Harvard. I don't think anybody actually thinks that, but that's just like that's the joke that is being made. And if you think of this play as a series of jokes, it's highly effective. If you try to think about it, like in the story character development lens, that's when it like gets hard to figure. <laughs> hard to, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are these characters on a journey? Their journey is like trying to get together, but their personalities have to change in really big ways in order for that to happen. So I guess we're in like alternate universe versions of these characters where their personalities didn't have to change because this is who they were all along. It, it gets a little hazy.
0: Oh right, right. <laughs> yeah, from a character analysis standpoint, it's like,
1: ah, what's happening?
0: Um, but but uh, but but I think there is an interesting. There's still like a, uh, a moral sounds so stuffy, but something that it's saying about about interactions in that, uh, it, and it's kind of in the name of the anthology that it's all in the timing and that connections are such a
1: ephemeral thing. Um so you, and all in the timing the name of the anthology comes from this play. Yeah. Yep, right
0: right away and this play is arranged at the front of that anthology. So you get the title right away. Um and and you get the sense that 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 you know these characters by the end of the play do resonate with each other. It's they're they're capable of resonating with each other. Um however, it's so it it, it kind of speaks into the uh, I don't know if you're if you're the sort of person who's listening to this and you like and end an interaction and kind of go home and think about it for the next three days. I'm one of those people. Um, and and so you kind of wonder how could that have gone differently? What? <laughs> you
1: who has a podcast about theater. Is one what? Of those. <laughs> shocking.
0: Shocking. Shocking. I know. I'm really, r- yeah. really bringing yeah. out revelations today. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's 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 that sort of play where where it's kind of engaging that moment of like how, you know, what's, what's the possibilities of relationships? What if, what if you could, what what if you could try again, if you didn't, if you felt like you, you didn't quite uh, show up presently in in a moment or show up well to your conversation partner or accidentally talked a little bit too much about why you like Woody Allen movies so much Um, or which is, which is something in the play not to, not to really call you out for your Woody Allen movies. I like Woody Allen movies, um, but, uh, but it is, it is that sort of play that leans into that question: What if you could? What if you could change your fate? What if you could reset a moment and uh, give it another try and see if there was a way that a conversation or a relationship could have worked out differently than it did?
1: I agree, and I, I want to give the line that that inspires that before I make a little bit of a qualm with it. The line <laughs> that you're describing is. Uh, Uh, Yeah, early in the play, they're talking about reading Faulkner. Bill says, you may not have been ready for him. You have to hit these things at the right moment or it's no good. Betty says, that's happened to me. Bill says, it's all in the timing. And then that line becomes one of the lines that the ding sends you back to. A couple of Exchanges, so you get it's all in the timing, like maybe three or four times in the next sequence of of dings. Um, so that's the lie, right? That all in the timing. I think you're right that this play, like one of the themes, if it has such a thing, is like how hard it is to hit things at the right moment. All the things that have to go right, and that in some ways this play is a celebration of when things go right. You you know, it's like um. It's like that, that it's like I can't think of the adage itself, but there's like an old adage which reflects around like we only remember the times things went wrong. And yeah. it's like, oh, that didn't work out. And that's what I remember. But when things go right, we forget about it. But part of this play is celebrating like look at how many things had to happen successfully for this thing, the two of them deciding to go on a date, to go right. And they probably, you know, the final versions of them in that universe where it worked out probably would never recognize, like, how many points just in this one conversation had to successfully happen in order for this to go right. It's all in the timing. It's a celebration. I mean, David Ive plays are notoriously sort of joyful. And that is – this. I think this play is joyful in that way. It's not bitter or sarcastic. It's a celebration of success when things yeah. happen in the right way. Now. Here's the qualm I take with it a little bit, which is that it's not just that they get dinged every time they say something wrong and they need to correct something that they said to be more successful. They get dinged about like their biographies, right? Where like <laughs> the jokes that we just went through is like where this guy went to college. Right. Wh- their CVs. How he how he votes. <laughs> yeah, his CVs, right. So that part of it is is a little strange in the like that in order for this exchange to go right, they literally had to have been different people. Right. And that is, <laughs> in some ways, that theme maybe would have come out stronger if uh, if it had just been a matter of like saying things the right way, not ruining it yourself instead of having to, as you say, alter their CVs. But it, I, the jokes are just so stinking effective around all that that I think you would lose something of the pace and energy and hilarity of the play if you put... That so much of that into it
0: yeah yeah i i I agree with you there's kind of a there's kind of a uh well we started this bike and we're gonna follow it all the way to the end (laughs) sort of uh energy that that happens in the second half of the play i think i think the most of that theme comes out in the first half where they're talking about books they're talking about passions and you kind of see the different ways that like there, there's especially one line where I think Bill goes off on, on a topic of, of, of Faulkner and, and, uh, as a whole, like, you know, quarter of the page, just him talking, and then it's reset and the same information comes out in a back and forth conversation between the two of them. And you're like, Oh, this is how you could show up better to a conversation partner rather than just monologuing. Um, uh, but, but then, but then you kind of, uh, you you get the fun, basically. Basically, it's like, okay, we built this world. Let's see how far we can go. <laughs> and 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 yeah, consistently towards the end, they're just kind of revamping the resumes for each other <laughs> rather than just trying to figure out how to engage differently
1: yeah, and it again, it it works really well and and David Ives, his writing is so snappy. It's so effective. it's so clever. It's so, I mean, it, there's almost not enough that you could say about it in praise of how well he writes dialogue and not just dialogue, but like the actions behind the dialogues. Like a play like this, Sort of works on itself. I mean, as somebody who directed it, there's just like if you have the right cast, there's just not a lot of direction needed. <laughs> yeah. The play is pretty much ready to go with when you hand it to two very capable actors, and some of that is just how well David Ives is able to put uh, experiences onto the page.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just the just the way that you know you you get the sense. I don't know. It's 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 like. It's sort of like a slice of life, but it's like a slice of like 30 lives. Or at least thirty conversations yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of like of like yeah, I've definitely had this interaction before in a coffee shop or in a conversation or uh, after a class or after watching a play. Um, you you can, you see you see so many like really just genuine moments of conversation, and you're like, oh my gosh, I remember the last time someone told me they were the citizen of the universe. Um, <laughs> like that's li- literally it it, it. it has this sort of visceral visceral recalling that happens uh, from these just super witty, super quick, um, uh, interactions between these two.
1: Yeah. So quickly to wrap up, we're almost out of time here. Uh, just to think about this play in its form, it is short enough that it, it probably doesn't work as a piece in and of itself. Like I have a hard time imagining an audience gathering just to see this because it's so short. It's, you know, it's 10 minutes. Uh, I directed it as part of a larger arts festival where there was music, there was speeches, there was all kinds of stuff. And then there was this short moment of kind of comedy in the middle of it. It's published as part of an anthology, which you could perform all together. Again, the whole package all in the timing was like one of the most produced plays in the country in in the mid nineties. Um, and I think we'll see that with these other sort of very short plays that they they really need to exist as an audience experience alongside other things.
0: Yeah, yeah. We kind of are used to to two hours of programming <laughs> when we go to a thing or at least an hour of programming. Um, and, and, uh, you need, you need to have uh, s- something else to get people to come out for the night. Um, so, so doing this play, you definitely have to think about what you're doing alongside of it. Um, or, the, the the alternative would be you know this uh, this play this this is such a good uh script for audition scenes if you're doing audition in a duo if you're doing scenes for competition um uh, but if you're wanting to do the play in its entirety uh yeah uh, an evening probably ought to be planned around it because it is so, so much fun. <laughs> you get, you get to see, uh, quite a bit of different sides of humanity. If you do the whole anthology, I love the idea of like pairing it with music and other things. It's a great breath of fresh air to insert into something else. Um, because it's just fun. Uh, it's, it makes you think a little bit, but for the most part it makes you laugh a lot. And, uh, and yeah, it just, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice, uh, kind of refresh or reset or, serves as a great way to enter into the anthology where it's placed within the within the six plays.
1: Yep, I, I agree. And I think that's all the time we have for this one. We're trying to keep these conversations abbreviated Snappy. to match the form with the content. So... <laughs> Thanks for listening to uh, the first episode of Mini Month, part two. Yes, indeed.
0: Our conversation here on the podcast has come to an end, but that does not mean that we have to stop talking about this play. We'd love to chat about this play, Sure Thing, from all in the timing by David Ives with you, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScript Podcast. And that's really where we would recommend you coming and finding us and chatting about it because then you get the chance to talk to other folks in the NoScript community about the play too. Um, it's a cool way to chat. Uh, a lot of times reading plays can be a solitary endeavor. Um, I'm sure many of you who are planning seasons uh, uh, coming for for next year coming up would like <laughs> to have someone else who has read the script that you're talking about. Uh, so find us on the social medias. We also have a gmail though uh, no script podcast at gmail.com you can find us on any of those sites we'd love to keep chatting about sure thing with you
1: Absolutely. If you liked this conversation or any of our other conversations, please pad the, pass the podcast on rather to your family, your friends, anybody you know that likes scripts, stories, or just talking about good writing, send them our way. They can find us on Podbean, on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, lots of places where you find podcasts. We're there. You can also like us on Facebook, and a link to the new episode appears every Monday when we publish. Until next Monday, when we continue with Mini Month part two, I'm Jacob Mann Christensen.
0: And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thanks for listening to No Script, the podcast.